these doctrines here, sometimes it's called Calvinism, right? It's called the, the five points of Calvinism or the five points of the doctrines of grace. And I think the best name would be the doctrines of Christ. Because nobody preached and proclaimed these doctrines more than Jesus Christ. These people have no evidence of growth in holiness, zeal for the church that Christ loves. Then we have no right to give them the assurance that they're saved and we're going to see them in heaven. Brothers and sisters, he does not say, I knew you for a little while, or I knew you for 40 years, but then you walked away. He says, I never knew you. My sheep hear my voice. True Christians love to hear the word of God and obey the word of God. To hear is to obey. Suffering, persecution, tribulation, trials are one of the major means that God uses to keep us persevering and preserving us in His grace. He's not talking about that the Lord will deliver him from death. He knows he's dying. I'm already being poured out. My time has come. I'm going to die. But what he's saying is the Lord will deliver me from a spiritual death. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. What a, a blessing it is to be in a church full of mothers who love the Lord. And there are two aspects of Mother's Day that's so precious for the believer. M mentioned here those who lost their moms. And the beauty is that Christ had promised that we would have many mothers in the church. And we do have. Those who have lost their moms or have unbelieving moms and who have Christian moms. You know that you have many other moms in the church. I have moms in this place. And for those who are not physically moms, all the women are called to be spiritual mothers. There's an aspect of motherhood in the kingdom of God that's required for every single woman to be a spiritual mom. That's the call of Christ for every single woman. Amen? I want to invite you to please open your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Starting verse 25, 24. 24. So the Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You may be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing to the Lord. May His Holy Spirit be with us and help us. 
we need we need the spirit of god helping us this morning how many of you have read pilgrim's progress i would encourage all of you to read pilgrim's progress it's a wonderful book wonderful book john bunya wrote the allegory of the christian life powerfully illustrates how it's our journey as we come to Jesus, and Jesus comes to us to save us. And as the title of the book presents the pilgrim's progress, it shows how the Christian life is a pilgrim's journey. We are in this pilgrimage to the celestial city. We see Bunyan showing that the saint, the saint represented especially by Christian, who is the main character there, how by God's grace... The saint will pass through many trials, but God in his faithfulness and kindness will preserve the saint until he reaches his destination. And for those who read the book, you remember that a Christian passes through the wicked gate, coming to Christ, still carrying his burden, not understanding the fullness of the gospel until he reaches the cross and the sepulcher. Meaning there is this time between his coming to Jesus and understanding truly who Jesus is and fully to remove that burden. And as he comes to the cross and the sepulcher, you remember that they have the three shining ones who appear to him. And they bless Christian with some things. And one of the things that one of the shining ones gives to Christian is a scroll. The certificate of his salvation. And he must hold that. Tight. He must preserve that scroll, that certificate of salvation, until he reaches the gates of the celestial city. And if you read the book, you know that as he is in his journey to the celestial city, he goes through many trials, toils, and snares, many tribulations. Sometimes we think that Christian will die. Sometimes we think that Christian will not be able to reach we think that Christian might be turning and following other men like Pliable and other characters who are trying to entice him. But by God's grace and power, he's always delivered, always protected. And yet Christian is always persevering, repenting, moving forward until he reaches the celestial city. And there the pilgrims present their carefully guarded certificate to the gatekeepers. And there were those who tried to come to the gate, but who had never received the certificate. And do you remember what happened to those who came to the gate and they did not receive the certificate from Jesus? Depart from me, I never knew you. Because they had never received the gift of salvation from the Lord. And as Christian and hopeful, press through and present the certificate. That scroll showing that they had been chosen by God and had persevered through trials and tribulations until they reached their destiny. We have that beautiful scene where they come to the presence of the King of Kings. And the singing and the joy that surrounds them as they come to the presence of the Lord Jesus. And that was the end of the pilgrimage of Christian's story. But it's also the end of our pilgrimage. We will reach the arms of our Savior and pass through the gates 
of the celestial city. Amen? And that's what we are looking at as we are studying the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints and the preservation of the saints, that God, He who began the good work of salvation, He will bring to completion in His saints. So as we come today to the last sermon in the doctrines of grace, I just want to remind you that these five points, these five doctrines are vital in our understanding of what makes us reformed. These glorious doctrines that came back to the church during the Reformation were just, they were just not creation of the Reformation, but they were just the bringing back of the old, old truths that are found all over the Scriptures. And all these five doctrines, they stand together just one sentence. God saves sinners. Therefore, all glory be to God. And these doctrines are God-exalting because they show the God who is triune. That's the beauty of this doctrine. It shows how the triune God works out salvation in the life of His people. Jonathan Gibson, he says, The Father in his act is active in the first moment of redemption. That doesn't mean He's not participating in the rest, but it's just the first moment in the economy of salvation where we see the Father as the one electing and predestining us unto redemption. The Son, the second person, secures the second moment, and that is redemption and forgiveness of sins. And the Holy Spirit, in the third and fourth moments, applies that redemption to us that Christ provided and serves as the guarantee of our future inheritance. And brothers and sisters, we are looking at these doctrines because as a church, that's what we believe. God saves us. And we give all the glory to Him. There is no 90-90% God and 1% you. It's all of His grace. So today we're going to continue our journey here. Last Lord's Day, we stop at Perseverance Verified. And we start walking through the Old and the New Testament. But before we go, let me just review Briefly, defining the perseverance of the saints. And you could say that in light of the four previous points, the depravity of man, we can say that the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints states that those, those sinners who were graciously and unconditionally elected by the Father, redeemed, saved by the Son's sacrifice, Regenerate, regenerated, born again, sealed, sanctified, and united to Jesus by the work of the Holy Spirit, they will persevere to the end. They who are in Christ Jesus will persevere just like the head and the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's just a, a very brief definition of what it means, the perseverance and the preservation of the saints. And then we start walking through, we walk through the Old Testament, you remember how much in the Old Testament tells us about God preserving and His people persevering under His preservation. We saw a key word, remember the key Hebrew word that helps us understand this wonderful doctrine of God preserving His people? The Hebrew word hesed. God's steadfast love, His covenantal love towards His people. And then we start walking through the New Testament and we start looking, we look at 1 Corinthians, we look at Ephesians, Romans. And I just want to stop here and remind us all 
that in the doctrine of the perseverance and the preservation of the saints, there is a very crucial element that oftentimes we don't like, and that is suffering. Suffering, persecution, tribulation, trials are one of the major means that God uses to keep us persevering and preserving us in His grace. Look at Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. As Paul is talking about the glorious justification that we have, and therefore we have peace with God. He says not only that, but we, we, we rejoice in our sufferings. When was the last time that you rejoiced in your sufferings? We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces what? Perseverance. And perseverance produces what? Character. And character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Remember that, brothers and sisters. As we are going through trials, pain, suffering, God is for you. And He's using those things to make you more and more like Christ and to help you to persevere. Because the perseverance, as you walk through, that produces character. Amen? Look at people who persevere and, and you see their character. And the beautiful character is the fruit of the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. And that hope is never disappointed because of the God that we have. So instead of causing us to lose heart, suffering... Is God's means to empower us to persevere just like Jesus. Amen. So as we continue our journey through the New Testament, let's go to Philippians. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. And in Philippians 1, to a church that's suffering under tremendous persecution, Paul says, starting verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, past, present. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ, future. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says, I'm sure of this. If you read the letter of Philippians, you're going to know that Paul is not sure of many things. He's not sure if he's going to be kept alive or be put to death. But he's sure of one thing. God will finish his work. That's the only certainty that Paul has, is that God is faithful to finish his good work. How many of us start reading a book, to suddenly put that book aside and never go back to read it? How many of us begin a resolution that we never finish? Our God is not like that. What he begins, he brings to perfection, to completion. And look at the good work, the good work. For I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. That's language from creation. 
God creating and creation is good. But now Paul is looking at a new creation, a regeneration. And Paul said that's the good work that God has performed. Making a new creature in Christ Jesus. Not only that, the good work implies also the, the good works that God destined us to perform. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. So for Paul, as he's looking at the Philippians, and he sees the constant, unwavering, persistent, and faithful partnership in the gospel, and he sees the evidence that God has begun the good work in their lives. It is, the picture here is, is, is if Paul, Paul is in the courtroom and he's looking at the evidences and he can, the only thing he can conclude is, yes, the Lord is working you. It's clear, the work of salvation in your life. We, don't, we do not have the right to give assurance of salvation to people who show no evidence of salvation. We cannot be giving assurance of salvation to people who do not show fruit of salvation. And Paul is not doing that here. He's giving assurance of salvation to those who have demonstrated that Christ is working salvation in them. If people have no evidence of a life of sacrificial partnership with the gospel, if people have no evidence of growth in holiness, zeal for the church that Christ loves, then we have no right to give them the assurance that they're saved and we're going to see them in heaven. I like what Thielman says. He says, Practical demonstrations of obedience produce confidence that God is at work in us and in others. The Philippians' monetary and personal support of Paul provided evidence of God's work in them and assured him that their good work was a result of God's good work of salvation in them. And the work that God begins, he finishes. The good battle that he started in our life, he's going to bring to completion. Amen? Another text. Let's move to 1 Thessalonians. You can turn there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 8 through 11. Paul says, But since we belong, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Look at that. That's sanctification, perseverance. Let's go, brothers and sisters. Let's keep walking holiness. Put on the full armor of God. And then he says, For God has not destined us for what? Wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might... Or we will live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's beautiful. He talks about the certainty. God has predestined us not to wrath, but to what? Salvation. God has destined us to salvation. And yet, be holy. Persevere. Keep putting the full armor every morning. Don't forget to put the helmet they walk together. And then Paul finishes. Verses 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May the Lord continue work, working this sanctification. In this process of perseverance until the end. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So you see the, the two sides of the coin. God will preserve. And because he will preserve, we keep journeying in our perseverance. Amen. Uh, as we move to the pastoral letters, let's go to Second Timothy Open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And then he says, he's talking about, he's talking about false converts in the church, false teachers. He talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus, who are like gangrene. They're just like cancer in the church. They need to be removed. They have swerved from the truth. But look at the contrast, starting verse 19. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this what? seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Lord knows those who are His. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Preservation, perseverance. There are those who Looked like that they were saved, but they're not. The Lord knows who are His. He knows. They have a seal. They belong to Him. And all those who belong to Him, He cries out, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Preservation and what? Perseverance. Walking together. As we come to chapter 4, that's beautiful as Paul He's coming toward his, his final words. Paul is about to die here. And those are Paul's final words. And he says in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. Look at verse 6. Starting verse 6 through 8. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He say, he's saying, I'm dying and my death is a sacrificial death. Because I'm in Christ." And the time of my departure has come. He knows he's going to die. And look how he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's assurance of salvation, brothers and sisters. He knows. I fought the fight. I ran the race. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all, all who have loved His appearing. That's beautiful. He knows. He looks back at His life. That's the importance of walking holiness, persevering. He walks back, He looks back at His life and He says, I fought the fight. I ran the race. And of course, He says, it's all by His grace. And before he finishes the letter, look at chapter 4, verse 17. Paul's coming to his, literally, his final words. He talks about those who deserted him. Then he says, in contrast to those who deserted him, he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. 
The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and brings me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's beautiful. The Lord rescue me from the lion's mouth. What is he talking about? The Lord rescue me from denying him. When everything was pressuring against me. When the only exit should be to deny the Lord. The Lord rescued me from the lion's mouth. And I kept being faithful to him. The Lord rescued Paul from denying the gospel and falling away. And the Apostle Paul also knows that the Lord will keep preserving him until the end. Look how he says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He's not talking about that the Lord will deliver him from death. He knows he's dying. I'm already being poured out. My time has come. I'm going to die. But what he's saying is, the Lord will deliver me from a spiritual death. He knows he will be put to death soon by Caesar. But no power of hell, no scheme of man, will ever be able to prevent him from entering the gates of the celestial city and embrace his Savior there. Good. As we turn to Hebrews... The book of Hebrews, wonderful letter. It's actually a sermon. The book of Hebrews is actually a whole sermon preached to Christians who were suffering persecution and were being tempted to forsake the faith. And what the author or, or, the, or the preacher of Hebrews is doing is he's painting this picture of Jesus Christ, how he's greater more superior than anybody and anything else. And he's telling them, keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to his beautiful face. And keep persevering. Because he persevered. So, for example, we come to chapter 11. We have the long list of the heroes of the faith. And what the preacher of Hebrews is doing is he's showing how all those people, they were preserved by God, and at the same time, they kept persevering, persevering, persevering. And then he comes to chapter 12, and he says, Since then, brother, we are surrounded, surrounded by this cloud of witness. Let us keep running the race. Let us keep running. Put away, take away all these things that are going to hinder you from running with perseverance. Keep looking to Jesus. Because he persevered to the end. Keep beholding Christ. And you're going to see the smiling face of the Father. And he will empower you. That's what the author of Hebrews is doing. There are a bunch of warnings in Hebrews. Uh, you can go to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where he tells us, looking to Jesus. That's the main call of the letter. To, for all of us to keep looking to Jesus because he's more beautiful. He's sweeter. He's better than anything else. And he ran with perseverance to save us. And they're full of warnings. It's said that there are 96 verses in Hebrews that encourage Christians to endure, persevere with faith. I did not count, but I trust the scholars who did that. 96 verses in Hebrews that encourage Christians to persevere in the faith. And then you have the warnings. The warnings are God's means to keep us persevering. 
But it's beautiful in chapter 6, because if you go to chapter 6, you see that in verses 1 through 8, you have this scary warning, this threat. And the threat is real. But it's beautiful how he goes on to say, Though we speak in this way, yet we, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. God is for you. He will keep you. So I encourage you to read the book of Hebrews and, and see how the preacher is encouraging all of us to persevere. Keep looking to Jesus. I know, I know that's hard. I know that's painful. I know that some of our brothers and sisters are being imprisoned because of Christ. I know that some of you are losing property. You have lost your inheritance. Your parents hate you. Praise the Lord. Keep pursuing. Keep persevering. Keep looking to Jesus. Uh, the letter of 1 Peter, he opens by stating that God will preserve us through faith. And then he finishes his letter, beautifully, he finishes his letter by saying, And after, after you have suffered a little while, a little while? We have been suffering for a long time. Remember what Paul says? This light, temporary suffering is nothing, is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. So Peter is just paraphrasing that. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you, irresistible grace, effective call, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm strengthen and establish you preservation therefore to him be dominion forever and ever amen brothers and sisters there's so many texts it's, it's, it's hard to select you know the bible is this wonderful book about god preserving his people so my struggle was okay how many texts should i bring just in first peter second peter you have a bunch we don't have time so let's go to first john Turn with me to 1 John. And 1 John is, is one of those key letters. It's a very important letter. Because if you want to know if somebody is a true believer, go to 1 John. 1 John is full of tests. Full of tests. Or if you claim to love Christ, but you don't love His people, you are self-deceived, you are lost. So there are many tests to see if your faith is genuine. But there is one text that's vital in understanding this subject of perseverance, losing salvation, preservation. And that is in 1 John chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And John is explaining. You can imagine those people in the church now just heartbroken. What happened? We thought that they... Love Jesus. We thought that they belonged to Jesus. For a while they seemed to be so loving. And now they are teaching heresy. Their lives are lives of immorality. They left us. So John comforts that church. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For, here's the reason, for if they had been of us, they would, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 
Similar to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Do you remember the divisions? Look at the contrast. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you, you all have what? Knowledge. Do you remember the promise of the new covenant? They would have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And they all, from the least to the greatest, they will know me. Meaning, covenantally. You have the knowledge. You have the covenantal, loving knowledge of who God is. So there is a contrast. Those who are never anointed with the Holy Spirit, they are never regenerated. They never had that covenantal knowledge that Jesus says, I never knew you. And on the other hand, there are those who were, since the beginning, anointed, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and they have the knowledge of God. Uh, Turn with me to Jude. I need to hurry here. The time is flying. Jude. That's just before Revelation. Remember that Jude was eager to write about our salvation, but because there are false teachers, he needs to write to the church to, to do what? Contend, wrestle, fight for the faith, the true gospel. And look at verses 20 through 21. Jude, there's just one chapter, verse 20 through 21. But you, beloved, and the key verb here is keep yourselves in the love of God. That's the main verb. And how they're going to keep themselves in the love of God. How are they going to, how are they going to persevere, right? That's perseverance. Keep yourselves in the love of God. He says, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Building yourselves up in the most holy faith means be under sound teaching. Gather together as a church and listen to sound teaching, not false teachers. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Congregational prayer. Pray together as a church fervently in the power of the Spirit through Jesus to the Father. And here's the, the third one. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus that leads to eternal life. How do we, do we keep ourselves in the love of God? How do we persevere? By being under sound teaching. By praying together. And by eagerly waiting. Not a new president. But the coming of the Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. And you see in these verses the Trinity. The Trinity is right here. Praying the Holy Spirit. Keeping yourself in the love of God the Father and waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 24, Now to him who is able to do a, to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, perseverance, preservation. God preserves, we persevere. Amen. And as we turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, so now we walk through Genesis to Revelation. This whole letter, similar to Hebrews, is a call for Christians to persevere. It's a call for Christians to look to Jesus. That's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember, that's what the book is about. Not about the rapture of the church. This book is about Jesus. He's seated on the throne, reigning. Look to Him and persevere. That's the main theme of Revelation. So Revelation 13, for example, we read... 
Verse 10. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain by the sword, with the sword must he be slain. What shall separate us from the love of God? Captivity. Sword. But here is a call for the perseverance and faith of the saints. And what he's saying is, we might go through the wrath of the enemy, but we'll never go through the wrath of God. We will go through the wrath of the enemy, but we will never go through the wrath of God. And he says in chapter 14, verse 12, here's a call for the perseverance of the saints, those who keep the commands of God and their faith in Jesus. We could go to Revelation chapter 7, where there is the sealing of God's people. He seals his people, and we already saw that in Ephesians, the sealing implies ownership, protection. And that's not protection from tribulation, but in the tribulation, that we will never lose our salvation. So thus, from Genesis to Revelation, we see God's faithfulness and steadfast love in preserving his people and empowering them to persevere until the end. Amen? That's the story of the Bible. The story of two peace. Or three. Preservation, perseverance, and presence. He preserves, we persevere to dwell in his presence forevermore. But it's missing one section of the Bible. You remember which one it is? The Gospels. Right? And, and the reason is why the Gospels are more important than the others. It's not like the red letters are more important. But I think it's important for us to realize that these doctrines here, sometimes it's called Calvinism, right? It's called the, the five points of Calvinism or the five points of the doctrines of grace. And I think the best name would be the doctrines of Christ. Because nobody preached and proclaimed these doctrines more than Jesus Christ. So, for example, in Matthew chapter 7, as we go to Jesus' teaching, and he's talking about how you can tell, you can examine the fruit of someone's life, and that fruit will lead you to the root. When the root is bad, the fruit is going to be bad. But if the root is good, the fruit is going to be good. And you can only have a, a good root if the the Lord does that work. And then he says that many will come to him and say, Lord, Lord. And what will be his answer to them? What is his answer to them? I never, I never knew you. He doesn't say, I knew you for a long time, but now I do not know you. No, he doesn't say, I knew you for a little while, but I don't know you anymore. He does not say, I used to know you, but you lost your salvation, my friend. He doesn't say that. Meaning they were never saved. Because you cannot be saved and lose your salvation. So he says, I never knew you. We have never had a covenantal, loving, saving relationship. Depart from me. That's so vital. Brothers and sisters, he does not say, I knew you for a little while. Or I knew you for 40 years, but then you walked away. He says, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. So much for those who teach that you can have Jesus as your Savior, but not as Lord. I never knew you. In Matthew chapter 10, 
in the context of persecution. Remember, persecution, suffering, vital for perseverance. Jesus says in verses 21 through 22, Brother will deliver brother over to death, the father his child, children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's so hard here in America. We want everybody to like us. We need to be nice to everybody. Jesus promised everyone will hate you because of me. Even in your family. In your family, I'm coming to bring a sword. But look how he says. But the one who perseveres to the end will be what? Saved. The one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Meaning, the one who persevered to the end, now he shows that he has always belonged to me. Because I persevered to the end. I was hated by all. And those who are in me also continue that same journey. Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14, talks about the shepherd who leaves the 90 to find the one who was lost. And then he finishes that by saying, So it's not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. None of his sheep will perish. In Matthew 28, Matthew ends his gospel with the promise, the command for the, the Christians to go make disciples, and his promise is, I will be with you always. As we move to the gospel of John, we are told there was a woman looking for water, she was thirsty. And Jesus tells her that those who drink of his water, who drink of him, will never, will never be thirsty again. Once you drink from Jesus, you are forever satisfied. Look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Remember, John chapter 6 is, John chapter 6 and John chapter 10, they're key chapters for you to help people see the glory of God in the salvation of sinners. And Jesus says, starting verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. All the elect of the Father will come to me. And whoever comes to me, what? I will never, never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose what? Nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have, what? Temporary life? 30-year guarantee? Eternal life. And now we raise Him up on the last day. If Jesus lose any of the, the gifts, the people that the Father has given to Him, He will dishonor His Father. That would be so dishonoring. He would not be a good son if he lost the people whom the father gave to him. Let's go to chapter 10 of John. John chapter 10. Verse 
Look at verse 25. Jesus answered those religious leaders who were questioning him. I told you and you do not believe the, the works that I do in my Father's name. Bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And here he defines the saints. Who are the saints? The sheep that belong to him. My sheep hear my voice. True Christians love to hear the word of God and obey the word of God. To hear is to obey. They hear my voice. They, I know them. There is this covenantal relationship. And they follow me. A true Christian is always following Jesus. Through the narrow way, through the painful way, he's always following Jesus. And look how he says to this, his sheep. I give them what? Eternal life. And they will never what? Perish. I give them eternal life, eternal in quality, in quantity. It's qualitatively different. It's the life of the age to come. This age is an age of death, not life. But the life that we have is the life of the age to come. It's the life of dwelling with God. And it's also quantitatively. It's not a 10-year life. It's not a 30-year life. It's eternal life. And then he says that they will never perish. You see, many things perish. Yesterday I opened my car, there was an orange there. One of the kids left an orange in my car. That had perished a long time ago. <laughs> it was so ugly. We lose so many things, so many things perish. But Jesus says that his people will never perish. Never perish. So Jesus assures his people of the certainty of salvation by saying that they have eternal life. They're imperishable. They will never perish. And then he says that all his sheep are where? In his hand. And if that's not enough, the hand of the mightiest king of all, what other hand is wrapped around his hand? The father's hand. Anybody stronger than the son and the father? And the Holy Spirit, who is sealed, you. And besides that, they have an extra hand to fight the enemy. The implication is, if a person who was truly saved end up in hell, the problem would be with Jesus. The shepherd would have lost a sheep. And if the good shepherd loses one sheep, he fails and he's no longer what? Good. Good. But Jesus loses how many? None. None. The believer is secure. And he will keep following him. Loving to hear his word and obeying his word. Amen. Well, let me just wrap up here with one very easy to apply story in the Bible. And in John chapter 17, Jesus tells his disciples as we, we as they are able to, we are able to record that prayer between Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father, he's praying. And he says that while he was with them, while I was with the ones you gave me, I kept them in your name. And he's talking about his priestly office and his royal priestly office, how as a high priest he has perfectly protected his people. Perfectly protected his people. He did not lose any. 
Then you might say, how about Judas? And remember, he says Judas had been appointed for that same reason. So Judas was actually chosen by Jesus to be the means of his betrayal. And the earthly, think about Jesus as a priest throughout his earthly ministry, and now he's in heaven. And now he's in heaven, and his earthly priestly is even more glorious. So that's why the author of Hebrews tells us, he says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. There where he is. And then he states that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to do what? To make intercession for them. You see, the work of Jesus did not stop in the cross. There is a full, a full salvation accomplished there. But his work continues as he is interceding for us right now. And you think about during the last hours as Jesus is ready to go to the cross. We have two betrayals. We have two ugly, nasty betrayals of our Lord Jesus. One is whom? Judas. He betrays the Lord. He denies the Lord. And who is the other one? Peter. Betrays the Lord. He denies his Lord. And yet we have two extremely opposite outcomes of Judas and Peter. Why did Judas kill himself and Peter became the leader of the early church? How did the sorrowful reaction of Judas lead him to kill himself while the sorrowful reaction of Peter led him to repentance, life, and fruitful ministry? Why did one never repent of his betrayal while the other one not only repented but became one of the most important leaders in the church? Why? What happened? Was Peter wiser? Was Peter more spiritual than Judas? What happened? Good. Very good. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And here's Jesus' reply. Why one hung himself killed himself, did not repent, and the other one not only repented, but became one of the most important leaders in the church. In chapter 22, verse 31 through 34, as Jesus is about to go to his exodus, he's preparing his disciples for his exodus, the greater exodus that's about to come. He says, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan demanded to have you. But now he says, you all. He has demanded to have you all. But Peter is kind of the leader there of the pack. That he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
Here's Peter. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Calm down, Peter. Calm down. You will. But not now. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Behold the word but. But. Satan has requested you. He wants you all. Especially you, Peter. The big leader here that I have made you of this pack. And he wants, he wants to destroy your faith, Peter. But, but, what has Jesus done? I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. It's not willpower of Peter. It's not that Peter was just more sensitive than Judas. It's not that Peter was just more open to Jesus than Judas. That has nothing to do with Judas or Peter. It has everything to do with the Lord Jesus. He did not pray for Judas, but he prayed for Peter. And remember this, brothers and sisters, we saw the unlimited atonement. Jesus as high priest, he carries certain names here. He does not have every single name. He has his chosen ones engraved in his breastplate. And he prays for them. And it's uh, interesting how Satan uh, strives to strike our faith. I have prayed for you that your faith will remain strong. Why, Peter? Satan wants to destroy the faith. Why? Without faith, we are all condemned. Faith justifies us, Romans 3. We can only please God by faith, Hebrews 11.6. Everything done without faith is sin, Romans 14. Faith is our shield against the enemy's fiery darts, Ephesians 6. We live by faith, Galatians 3. Therefore, you take away faith and you take away life itself. For the believer is nothing without his faith. Learn what you pray for one another. Learn from Jesus. Pray for the faith of your brothers and sisters. Oh, Lord, strengthen, strengthens Michael's faith. Oh, Lord, strengthen Elizabeth's faith. Oh, Lord, help, help this brother's faith to be so, so strong in you. His affections to be so deep for you that the sin that he's committing or he's about to commit or that he will commit will suddenly be Abominable, and he will repent and run to you back again. So you see the preservation. I have prayed for you, and the perseverance. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That's the mediator that we have, brothers and sisters. Even though a believer falls, and we all fall, amen, we will stand up. Spurgeon said, The believer, like a man on a shipboard, may fall again and again on the deck, but he will never fall overboard. They're always being held by the Lord. Think about that. Jesus is interceding for you. Jesus Christ is interceding for you. 
Moms, Jesus is interceding for you. When the despair, the frustration, the weakness, the disappointment come, look upward and see He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. And the Father loves to hear the intercession and the prayers of the Son. The Father loves, loves to hear the prayers of the Son. And when the Son is praying for you, the Father is so delighted to answer the prayers of His Son that He gives the Spirit without measure to hold you and keep you and strengthen you. Remember that Satan, Satan has demanded to have us. He wants to destroy our faith. But our mediator is interceding for us. We are singing this. So that on Jesus has leaned for repose. Remember, and he's singing to us. I will not, I will not desert its foes. That so though hell should endeavor to shake. I will never, no, never, never what? Forsake. Nobody prays for you like Jesus prays for you. Amen? Amen. Nobody prays more fervently, more tenderly, more persistently than Jesus prays for you. So take heart, brothers and sisters. We have a beautiful, wonderful mediator. If only we could see Jesus praying for us. Listen to what he's saying to the Father. Riken says, what courage we would take to live for him through every trouble in life. And brothers, as we reach the celestial city and we hand that scroll, the certificate of salvation, the gates are wide open and the king has his arms wide open to embrace us and welcome us. And then you're going to remember that all those pains and sufferings and tribulations were actually just working out to make the joy of that moment even greater. Even greater. So, keep on, brothers and sisters. Keep on. Keep fighting. Keep fighting the sin that's trying so hard to entangle you. Put to death those sins that so cruelly keep trying to hinder you from running with perseverance. Put to death. The Spirit is for you, the Son is for you, and the Father is for you. Look to Christ. Look to Christ and see the smiling face of the Father. Do not lose heart. May we be a church that's marked by this perseverance. The perseverance of the saints. Father, we praise you with very limited words. It's even hard to adore you as you deserve. 
what is men they should save they should love and they should adopt we are but rabble dusts but because of your son because of the son Jesus Christ and the work of your spirit we are made your children and you promise as a faithful loving father that you never you will never forsake or leave your children behind so help us as we behold this marvelous doctrine of the preservation that we would continue persevering in faith because without holiness no one will see you so help us Help us to continue this pilgrimage together. Because we long, we long to come to those gates. Deliver that certificate that you gave us. And run to your arms. Thank for interceding for us. Thank for praying for us. We don't deserve anything, Lord. So we give you all the glory. Humbly we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.